0: My text is found in the reading in Isaiah 53, verse 5. Isaiah 53, verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. And I'm sure you know that there's more of the gospel in Isaiah than any other Old Testament book, possibly apart from the Psalms. And one man has said that the Bible can be summarized like this The Old Testament, behold, the Lamb of God is coming. The Gospels, behold, the Lamb of God is here. And then the Epistles, behold, The Lamb of God is coming again. And as you know, Isaiah was a prophet. And some people have compared the prophet to a mountain range. And each of them is looking forward, telling us something about the coming saviour. And Isaiah has been compared to the Himalayas. Or as my old geography teacher in the grammar school used to say, Himalayas. It's a posh way of expressing it, but I, I knew it as the Himalayas. But anyway, Isaiah has been compared to the, the Himalayas. And he sees most clearly the coming Lord Jesus. And Isaiah 53 is the summit, as it were, of Everest. And someone has called Isaiah an evangelist, not a prophet. Why? Because he proclaims the gospel. He's a man who loves and preaches the gospel. And our text is the heart of the gospel. What is the gospel? As you know, the gospel is good news. Do you remember Mark's gospel begins with the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ the Son of God. And Campbell Morgan, who was the minister in Westminster Chapel before Dr Lloyd-Jones, he spoke of the four V's concerning Christ. The first V was virgin birth. The second V was virtuous life. That, that's, that's stating the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ's life was sinless. The third V is vicarious life. Sacrificial death, and the last V was his victorious resurrection. So, his virgin birth, his virtuous life, his, his vicarious sacrificial death, and his victorious resurrection. And as you know, the gospel is about the life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's good news. We used to say in conversation, Well, that's the gospel truth, didn't we? don't know if we say so much now, but it's true. It's the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's the good news. And as you know, good news usually comes after bad news. And the gospel's like that. And our text tells us about the bad news before we get to the good news. And you and I must face up to the bad news before we can come to the good news. Uh, Let me explain using the text what I'm talking about. There are four couplets in the text, aren't there? He was wounded for our transgressions. Now note, wounded transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Note again, bruised iniquities. Then the chastisement of our peace was upon him. Note: chastisement, peace. And then, and then with his stripes we are healed. Stripes healed." famous Scottish theologian has said about this verse. "It's an anatomy of sin and an anatomy of grace." So let's begin with the bad news. He was wounded for our transgressions. He's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, obviously, isn't he? He was wounded for our transgressions. You and I are transgressors. What's he talking about by that? Transgressions are the outward act of breaking God's law. The outward act of sin. You remember in the Garden of Eden? God created man and woman and he placed them in this garden, the Garden of Eden, and he provided for them spiritual, physical, and social relationships. And there was one prohibition. God placed this prohibition upon them. Remember Genesis 2.17? But of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. The prohibition was As the verse says, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Eating of the fruit of it, the punishment would be death. Now what happened was this. Adam crossed the line God had drawn. God, as it were, drew a fence, as it were, around the tree. And when they took of the fruit of the tree, they became transgressors. God said to Adam, keep out and Adam and Eve stepped over the line they became transgressors and you and I, like Adam are transgressors we're sinners by nature and by practice and let's see if I can get this principle across You, Adam was our federal head now what does that mean? Because he was our federal head, we all became transgressors. Remember Romans five twelve. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. This idea of federal head—some people find that difficult to grasp. I think of it like this: You know, when David and Goliath, um, David fought Goliath. If David had won, then there would be consequences that followed. The whole nation would be involved, wouldn't it? If David lost, then there would be different consequences. If Goliath won, there would be different, different uh, consequences. So, and then John, John 1, 3, verse 4 says, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. Transgression is this. God says no. Man says yes. I will do what I want. I'll do what I want to do. Don't you tell me what to do? I think it's in um, Alan Ebenezer's book. Remember that definition he gave? Um, Sin, s i n, s. Shove off God. I. I'm in charge. And N. Not you. And I take funerals of friends and neighbours and other people. And and um, before they come into the in the Creme. They, they put a CD on and when on the way out. They put a CD on sometimes. And, and I can't control that. I do control what's, what's between those two times. But. One of the most popular CDs in the valleys in a funeral is I Did It My Way. You know that song by Frank Sinatra, I think it is? I Did It My Way. Now that's the exact opposite to true Christianity. Saying that, you say it because you're a rebel. Each of us are rebels. Our natural hearts are rebellious against God. Transgressors. So it's sin committed in life. And you and I are rebels by nature and by practice. We're transgressors. We're trespassers. So transgression, the most outward act of sin. That's bad news. Now do you see that? Do you see yourself as being a transgressor? Secondly, he was bruised for our iniquities. What do you think of a wheel? And we're moving from the outer to the inner, to the center. And iniquity really means being crooked, being perverse. It's the inward condition and disposition in our nature. And you and I do what we do. Because of what we are I've got a granddaughter staying with me at the moment um, Charlotte her name is And You don't have to teach Charlotte to do the wrong things You all know that don't you um, Children do wrong naturally And all of us have an inbuilt, inbuilt bias and, and it's out of line with the will of God Every if we play bowls, but the woods ha- have a bias, don't they? They have a bias inbuilt. And that bias makes it out of line, moving, uh, moving the bowl, of the wood away from the, from the straight. I think of a plumb line. We test every action, don't we, by God's revealed will, the Bible. And we have a bias inbuilt, a sinful nature. And iniquity is a bias within us which is not pleasing to God. We're sinners by choice and by nature. Remember Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so we are born with a nature that prompts us to go away, to go astray. Like sheep, we foolishly desire to, to go our own way. Remember Paul writing to the Ephesians, reminds them of what they were be- before they became Christians. They were once dead in trespasses and sins and so on. So that's bad news. Thirdly, the chastisement of our peace was upon him. So, there's peace or dispeace, And the dispeace which goes through our whole being from for, for, because of mutiny, mutiny against God. We are at we are at peace as it were, if that's the correct word, um, because we're transgressors, we have a bias. That's out of line with the will of God. And this peace results in our heart. There's no peace. We're not at peace with God. And you and I do not know the peace of God. And sin results in this peace And that leads to enmity. Our natural state is that we do not know peace with God. And because of that, that leads to enmity with God, and Paul drives this home, doesn't he? He drives home the point we had: enmity against God. Romans eight verse seven, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. Now that's bad news. Let me give you a taste of of the good news. Ephesians two fourteen. For he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. And then Philippians 4, 4 to 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing but in everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Listen. And the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus fourthly with his stripes we are healed sin is a disease we need to be healed it's a sickness and that sickness spreads to every area of our lives and it The theological term is, and it depraves us. It's a chronic condition. Why? Because it affects every part of our lives. You know, we hear of people with illness that affects the whole body. And sin is like that. It permeates the whole person. It permeates our mind, our heart, and our will. We do not have free will, do we? No part of us is unaffected. And you remember Isaiah? He opens up his book in chapter 1. And he, does, he says this. The scene is a scene of a courtroom. And I won't read the verse. I haven't got the time. But in Isaiah 1, he starts by, God convenes the court and states the charges, right? Against the nation now. And he pronounces the nation Guilty. And the picture is of the whole body being infected from head to toe. And nobody was doing anything about it. Nobody was doing anything to help. The nation was morally and spiritually sick. And judgment was coming. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Sadly. And Isaiah commands the nation to confess their sins and to put them away. He mentions murder, robbery, bribery, exploiting the helpless, the worship of heathen idols. And and God has every reason to punish the people for their sins. But Isaiah was a true prophet, wasn't he? I always think of Isaiah as someone like a good doctor. He diagnosed the case. You know, you go to see a doctor, what you want is the truth from him. You want him to diagnose what's wrong with you and to diagnose a cure. He may have good bedside manners or not. It's nice that he has good, good bedside manners, but what you want is the diagnosis to be true. And then you want the diagnosis of the cure to be true. And um, he, he could warn warn us that, that, that we, need to, we need to have treatment, whatever it is. And, and sin is like that. It's a disease. And it needs to be healed. And Isaiah has warned the people what will happen if the prescription is ignored. And he's given us a a description of the whole human condition. It's in the grasp of sin. It's in its grip. And that's the view the Saviour has of the human heart. Now that's bad news. Do you see that? Do you see that you need a Saviour? Do you see that? What's the point in turning to the Saviour if you don't see that? as I said, Isaiah was like a good doctor and he diagnoses the cure as well. And um, here's another taste of the cure, Isaiah 118. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. So, so let's come to the good news in the verse. And what the prophet does is he traces the sufferings of Christ in the same four steps and he's going from the circumference to the centre. And what he says is this, God provides salvation. How? Well, in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, number one, he was wounded for our transgressions. Note now, wounded. The Lord Jesus Christ was wounded. Wounded. And what he's talking about there is the physical sufferings of Christ. The whole of of his body suffered. It was pierced, as it were. He was pierced for our transgressions. And what he's talking about there is the outward assault on the Lord Jesus Christ's body. And as you know, the Lord Jesus Christ suffered five wounds. His feet and hands were pierced and um, his, knee, his side was pierced by a spear. And one man talks of, of the types of, of various types of wounds. If there's any doctors here, you may be able to correct me. But, but one is conf- contusion. That's a bruising wound, wound. Another is lacerating. That's tearing flesh. Another is penetrating, making holes in the flesh. And another is incise, incision, to cut the flesh. So, the Lord Jesus Christ was wounded. And he's talking about the outward wounds to deal with our sins. And I was thinking of this, I was driving down in the car. (laughs) Those wounds were inflicted on the sinless body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Think of that. Just let your mind be overwhelmed by that. The wounds that were afflicted on him were wounds to a sinless body. That's good news for all of us. Second, he was bruised for our iniquities. He's talking about the deeper pain. And that's The hurt which human sin has caused. Bruising, he's talking about really. Dealing with our iniquities. On the cross, the Lord Jesus dealt with our inner being, as it were. You know, when I look at you, you're more than what you appear on the surface, aren't you? We're more than what we appear. Listen to verse 6. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of of us all verse 10 yet it bruised the Lord yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him so the Lord Jesus Christ was bruised which means crushed under the weight of a burden what was that burden? the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all what he's talking about is the Lord's Spiritual suffering. Just let your mind think about this for a short time. The crushing weight of sin as he bore our sin. You remember he experienced that in Gethsemane and he experienced it on the cross when he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He's talking about the weight of sin bearing in the Lord's soul I hope you know the hymn, The Enormous Load of Human Sin Was on My Saviour Laid. That's good news. Thirdly, the the chastisement of our peace was laid upon Him. The chastisement of the Son, think of this, by the Father. And the Lord Jesus Christ was chastised And yet that punishment brought us peace. And as you know, the only way for a lawbreaker to find peace with the law is to suffer the punishment that the law demands. And our elder brother, the Lord Jesus Christ, stood in for us. And what he did was this. He turned away the wrath of God. And I hope you know this term is important you. You know these terms, the theological term for this is propitiation. And the word is used in Romans 3 and in 1 John 2 and 1 John 4. Now what does it mean? Hendrickson says, propitiation is a wrath-removing sacrifice. Think of that. A wrath-removing Sacrifice. And another definition is propitiation is the act of performing a sacrifice by which God's wrath is diverted. God's wrath against sin. And it's precisely that kind of sacrifice that Jesus offered. It was a sacrifice to turn away God's wrath. And so the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ turns away the wrath and the anger of God against sin now, now God hates sin and he must punish it he's not like us we can wink at sin God is holy and righteous and there is um, there is in God anger and wrath against sin of course we believe that God is love of course we do but don't, not only love when you think of the, of the Bible, you think of, of what God did to Adam and Eve. What he did during the flood. What he did to Sodom and Gomorrah. He must punish the wicked who will not repent. So propitiation means the turning away of the wrath of God. And I, I think it's... Um, Morris Roberts, who gives this illustration, you can compare the anger of God, if you like, to a waterfall cascading down on our heads, under your head and mind. Think of the Niagara Falls, okay? All that torrent of water is is cascading down on our heads. Under your head. And The Lord Jesus Christ is, as it were, a ledge between that cascading waterfall and us. And the, the, the cascading anger and wrath of God falls upon him. And it's deflected away from us. I'm speaking in love, my dear friends and I don't say it with any anger of course but, but this is the truth if we die without the Lord Jesus Christ if you die without the Lord Jesus Christ as your saviour then a waterfall of divine anger will fall upon you instantly and it will carry you down to the bottomless pit that's what you deserve and I deserve that's what I deserve The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. So propitiation means this. It's a deflecting, a diverting of this terrible waterfall of wrath which deserved to come upon our heads because we are sinners. It's diverted on to the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Lord Jesus Christ in his great love for sinners, like you and me, he came and shed his blood. He took our place and he took the punishment that I should have had, he stood between God and his people. And he gave himself as a substitute and a propitiation to bear away the sins of sinners like you and me. And my favourite verse in the Bible is this, isn't it? 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He who knew no sin became sin for us in order that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And there's a glorious transaction. The Lord Jesus Christ... who who wears a beautiful robe of of righteousness, a pure white robe of righteousness. We are clothed in filthy rags. All our righteousness is as filthy rags. And on the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ divests himself of his pure robe of righteousness and he puts it on us and he divests himself and he, he puts our sin upon himself. You see that imputation, Mark and Joseph used to say, put in the middle of that word, imputation. There's that double imputation and it's it's glorious, isn't it? Um, He who knew no sin became sin for us in order that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And very quickly, fourthly, with his stripes, well, that's good news, isn't it? With his stripes, we are healed. He's talking here about Christ, our healer. He purchased our healing. Calvin says, here is our healing. And this happens when the sinner is brought to embrace this Christ by faith. Then all that Christ has accomplished is given to him or her. And so this is of no value unless we embrace Christ. Have you embraced Christ? In the wedding vows, that, um, do you take this man, see, or woman? Do you take this man to be here? and so on? Do you take, and it's, it's embracing Christ. And let me ask you, have you embraced Christ? Christ has done all for the salvation of sinners. But, but never was a any wound healed by a preparation that was unapplied. I kept myself shaving. You put a plaster on it, don't you? Oh, I put, I put the Western Mail. Western Mail is better than the telegraph. Bit of paper to stop the bleeding, you know? Um, and Christ has done all for the salvation of sinners. But it's only when the sinner embraces Christ that these benefits become ours. So my plea to you this morning is, if you haven't embraced Christ, do it. Do it this morning. With his stripes, we are healed. That's good news. And in Isaiah 55, if you get a chance to read it, Isaiah 55, 1 to 3, he uses these words, come. In the first verse, he says it three times. He says, come, come to Christ. Come, buy, eat. Listen in verse 2: eat. And verse 3: incline here. And I close with an illustration. Um, a French aristocratic Christian lady, Madame Gounod, um, she says this, commenting on the verse, Matthew 11:28: Come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest if you're thirsty come come to the living waters do not waste your time your precious time digging wells that have no water in them if you're starving and and can find nothing to satisfy your hunger then come and you will be filled you who are poor come you who are afflicted Come. You are are weighed down with your load of wretchedness and your load of pain. Come. You will be comforted. You are sick and need a physician. Come. Don't hesitate because you have diseases. Come to the Lord and show him all your diseases and they will be healed. Come. This is the invitation that Christ called to discipleship. Hold for every Christian. He's saying, come. He's commanding, follow me. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes are we healed. Amen. You know, come sinners to the gospel feast. Let every soul be Jesus' guest. Four, six, nine, sorry. you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.